Have you understood all these things? Have you understood all these things? That's what Jesus asks of his disciples at the end of this catalogue of parables about the kingdom of heaven. Have you understood? Did you hear? Did you comprehend? Are you going to live differently as a result of what I've said? That's where Jesus ends. Asking his disciples and asking us, do you get it? It's like a school teacher asking a class before an exam, having gone over the work. Do you understand what I've said? Do you understand, the English teacher says, that Animal Farm is not really about animals? Do you get it to the point that you're going to walk into that exam and you're going to write not about pigs, but you're going to write about communism? That's maybe what George Orwell was talking about. As we look at these parables, these stories with intent that Jesus tells to teach and instruct and equip us on how to live as citizens of the new kingdom in the midst, in the surrounds of the old kingdom, the enemy kingdom, Jesus asks us this same question, do you get it and what difference does it make? And I want to do a little work with you this afternoon on the makeup of these final parables uh, that Michael's just read to us to see to help us to see that Matthew is drawing our attention to to one thing in particular draw our eyes to those little parables about the treasure and the pearl and then he's going to support that with a warning and an instruction but what is that one thing it's the glory of the kingdom the value of the kingdom. So, so here we go. The glory of the kingdom. Look down at your Bible if you've got one. If you're looking on a phone, this is not going to be particularly helpful. If you've got a, a physical Bible, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. Look down at verses 44 to 46. Maybe in your Bible it's headed. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Two parables that are clearly paired together. Talking about a man finding something of great value. A treasure or a pearl. Now, either side of that little couplet, we have uh, the explanation on the the one side of the parable of the wheat and the weeds that Ian Fenton talked to us about last week. You'll see it on the the slide now. C1, C2, the parables in the middle. Either side, the parable of the weeds explained, verse 37 to verse 43. And on the other side is the parable of the net, which Michael read to us as well. And then the far side of those... We've got Matthew and Jesus talking about the Old Testament and then where we are now. You've got Matthew and Jesus referencing the Old Jesus and uh, the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills it in verse 35 and how he adds to its splendor in verse 52. Matthew is giving us a target. Think of a, an archery target. In the middle, he's got the bullseye. And then surrounding that, he's got another ring and another ring outside of that. Or he's drawing for us a literary pyramid. We're supposed to hear these words and go, oh, he's building to this central core thing. And the bottom layer of the pyramid is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The middle layer is a warning about the seriousness of not being on the king's side. And the top layer, 
the very top of the pyramid is all about the immensity and the richness of the kingdom itself. So it's what you might call chiasm. People, Bible scholars talk about that. It's designed for us to hear this and go, here's the main thing. The kingdom of God is of immense value. This is the most important truth for us to hear. These two little parables about the treasure and the pearl. So let's look at that first parable. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now in those days, if the political scene was turbulent, there was threat of uh, war, threat of me moved out of your home, what people would do with their, their belongings, their valuables, they couldn't go to the bank, they couldn't go and get a safe deposit box, they buried them. They would bury their valuables, their riches, their wealth. They'd put them maybe in a jar, bury it in a field where only they knew where it was. So that when things calmed down, they could go back and find them and use them. Sometimes they never went back. There have been fines, archaeological finds of jars full of money in the middle of fields by themselves. People have found these treasures. And that's what happens here. This man comes across this treasure. Maybe he's doing some labouring in that field. And he's just digging, digging up the field for farming purposes. Maybe he's out on a walk with his dog and he spots a glint of something out the corner of his eye. We, we don't know. But as Jesus tells this story, the key thing is he finds it. And then he does everything to get it, to obtain it, to have it. There's no dishonesty implied here. He legitimately goes out and buys the field and gains the treasure. Okay, stop for a second there. Imagine that somebody gave you the winning ticket to the lottery. You won a hundred million pounds. What would you buy? Okay, got 10 seconds. What would you buy? If you sat next to somebody, you can tell them. What would you buy? Okay, that's enough. That's enough. You're going to be there all day if I let you. Imagine the thrill, the joy of seeing your bank account go all up by all those zeros. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine the, the pleasure. And we're told that this man joyfully, look at the end of the verse, in his joy went out and sold all that he had to buy the fields because this treasure is so much more that is what the kingdom of heaven is like in a person's life when they find it it changes everything the kingdom of heaven where god rules and reigns over all things for the good of his people and the glory of his name changes everything this parable a few months ago in one of our in our online services and we noted then that the second parable the parable of the the pearl and the merchant shows us that people find this treasure in different ways some people like the first man 
happen across it. They're not looking for it. They're not expecting it. And suddenly, boom, life changes in a moment. And others, like the pearl merchant, have been looking for this this great pearl. This thing of immense value. And they've searched and searched and eventually found it. But each man sells everything that he has to take hold of the price. I wonder if you were to look at your own life, would you say, I've got something of that value? I've got something that I live for, or something that I worship, or somebody who's worth giving it all up for. And if not, then say, don't settle. Don't settle for less than what God is offering. The Bible will tell us there is more. And the history of Christianity is stuffed full of people who have lived out this very parable. Who have given up everything. Because Jesus offers more. Because the kingdom of heaven is greater. Jim Elliot, missionary to South America, who was killed by the very people he was trying to reach with the gospel. He famously wrote in his journal before his death, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And there are many, many who we know and many more who we don't, who have died to themselves who have died to their dreams, who have died to their comfort, who have died to riches, to success, because they knew and know that Jesus is better and Jesus is worth it. And the Bible itself is going to give us examples of this. And so we can look at the Apostle Paul and we can turn to Philippians chapter 3 and listen to him say there, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Or consider the apostles, chapter 5, who suffer, who are taken before the authorities, who are beaten, and they leave The Sanhedrin, Acts 5 verse 41 tells us, they leave rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. They gave it up. Or we could go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us lots of named peoples and shows their faith, their trust in God lived out and what it meant. And then at the end, it goes into a whole list of people whose names we don't know whose faces we cannot see, and yet, the Bible says this, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging in even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not with them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. And we could think of people, even today, 
who have turned to follow Jesus, who have heard the message of the kingdom, that God is invested in this world, that God is acting and God is coming and has come in the person of Jesus to rule and to reign and God will bring about all things, who will restore all things. And there are people today who turn to follow Jesus from Muslim backgrounds or from strong religious communities or even irreligious communities. And following Jesus means that they have to give up families. They have to give up their homes. They maybe have to give up their jobs. They would turn to us and say, Jesus is better. We have found a pearl of great price and he is worth it. This is the glory of God's kingdom. And we must not underestimate it. But what is it? What have they understood? What is the the glorious treasure of God's kingdom? And we can trace through the Bible the great truth that there is a king who rescues his people from slavery. From slavery in other countries, but from slavery from sin. There is a king who promises goodness. He promises a land. He promises blessing. He promises a family, a belonging to one another and to him. There is a king who gives his law and says this is what is right and what is good and what is true. There is a right way to live. There is a king who reigns. One who shepherds his people. Who with justice and wisdom. Someone for whom a city of gold, a temple of gold seems not be to there to go, well, we need to try and show how impressive it is that it's a city of gold that says, this is how great he is. There is a king who speaks through his prophets, who cares about his people, who cares about his, their sufferings, who cares about their lives and their struggles and their sin, and he speaks into their lives and says, I am here and I know and I care. And all of this is fulfilled and founded in Jesus. And so Jesus the King speaks to his disciples and says, this is what it's like. All of that and more so and more. Jesus, the King of the kingdom, he is the great treasure. And he will prove it. He will prove it to these disciples because he will die for them. And he dies for his people so that they might not die. And this king will rise to new life, bringing with him all those who trust in him so that they might live life as it truly ought to be. This king who goes into heaven to prepare an eternal home and a perfect future for all those who will trust in him. So REC, do not underestimate the glory of God's kingdom. That, Matthew wants us to see, is the main point. But he then gives us a warning. So secondly, the culmination of the kingdom. The parable of the net. Now, remember at this point, Jesus has been down at the lake on his boat, 
speaking to the crowds and then has gone into a, a home and is speaking to his disciples. And you can imagine him as he speaks the words about the parable of the net pointing out of the window, pointing back down to the lake. And he paints a picture, a fisherman out in a couple of boats, dragging a, a great big net between the two boats to pull in a full catch of fish. And it pulls in everything in between the two boats. And when they get to the shore, the fishermen sit down and sort out the catch. And it's not so much one for you, one for me. I imagine that's how you know, first century fishermen did things. But this is more like, Jesus says, it's like children collecting stickers for a sticker album when they're comparing piles and they're going through. Got, 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 need. Except for in this case, it's good, bad. Good, good, bad. This, Jesus says, is how it will be at the end of the age. He says this world will draw to a close and there will be judgment. And the words, as Michael was reading to him, will have seemed familiar because they're almost the explanation of this parable, word for word, what was happened just before in the parable of the weeds. Ian helpfully reminded us last week that Jesus was speaking to his disciples and telling them that they would need patience, that there would be final justice and final judgment, but they wouldn't see that fully worked out immediately. But I think one of the other things that that Jesus is doing and Matthew is doing as he gives us Jesus' words, he's painting a backdrop. A backdrop for this glorious kingdom and the treasure. And he's surrounding it with darkness so that we see the glory. And he looks forward to the judgment. And he contrasts the joy of the treasure finder with the horror of what is to come for all those who are not trusting in the king this is how it will be at the end of the age the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth it would be so easy to ignore this it would be so easy to say this is not jesus This is not Jesus, gentle and meek. This is hard and difficult. But this is the warning that Jesus gives. That there is a right and just punishment and ending for all those who will not put their trust in Jesus. Michael read to us the next section after the end of the parables from verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. And the first thing that we hear about off the back of these parables is that we see them being worked out. Some reject Jesus. He goes home. He begins teaching. 
And people are amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. And then they go, we know him. We know who he is. We know where he lives. We know his brothers and his sisters and his mother and his father. And they reject him. They want no part in Jesus. They can't, they can't compress him down to take hold of him. And so they reject him. And we're shown in a quite brutal example that proximity to Jesus does not mean probability of trusting in him. Seeing does not necessarily lead to believing. They saw, they knew, they took offence. And they said, we don't need Jesus. The glory of the treasure is set against the backdrop of this reality that people will reject and God will be just. And the warning is there for us. Do not be among those who will be cast out. And as we meet here or watch online, the warning is for us that we can be this close to Jesus and we can miss out. The culmination of the kingdom. Don't miss it. Instead, trust. Instead, look at the value. Look at him. Look at his words. Look at his work. Look at his life. Look at his death. Look at his resurrection. And ask, did he do it for me? final point the disciples of the kingdom and we land back at verse 51 where we started have you understood all these things jesus asked his disciples and the disciples say yes they demonstrate faith now if you're familiar at all with the new testament accounts the disciples are a decidedly mixed bunch they both get it and they don't get it they believe and they disbelieve they want to follow and they fail to follow. But I think they are demonstrating faith here. They've heard. They have believed. And so Jesus gives them one last parable. As a consequence of their faith, 52, he said to them, Therefore, in light of the fact that you have heard, that you have understood, that you are going to put this into practice in your lives... Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. He turns their eyes to a familiar setting, to a synagogue setting, where a rabbi or a teacher of the Old Testament brings out God's words for the people. It probably looks a little bit like this. I think in a Jewish setting, the, the, the rabbi would have sat down and you would have stood up. But, you know, that, we could have gone for that, maybe. Maybe next week. And he says, you know what that's like? And he says, there is treasure. Goes back to treasure here. 
There is treasure when a rabbi brings God's word, when he teaches it to the people. But he says there has been a development. Because the teachers of the law, the Old Testament, who have become disciples in the kingdom, and he's looking them in the eye, he says they've got more to offer as they bring out the treasure of God's word. Because they too can reveal the God's character in his interactions with his people. They can talk about his astonishing kindness, his hesed, as we looked at a few months ago. They can look at God's acts of salvation to intercede in the lives of people who are utterly undeserving. And he rescues them and he saves them and he blesses them. They can look at his promises. They can look at his justice. They can look at his peace. And the disciples can bring out more treasure because they can go, and it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And God is acting now in a final way. The story has reached its climax and it's Jesus. And so his disciples, the disciples of the kingdom, can bring out not just the old treasure, but new treasure. We've been on Zoom, most of us, a lot over the last year. Have you ever seen those people, maybe it's on Zoom, maybe you've seen them on the news, who are thought put in the background of their Zoom shot? There are some people who have thought nothing about what's in their Zoom shot. Occasionally they're not in it. But there are some people who have aligned the books. Behind, you know, I want you to see these books that I've never read, but you can't tell that. Jesus is saying, here's what the disciples of the kingdom can do. They can bring out more and greater and better. The disciples of the kingdom can show and speak of Jesus. The Bible reaches its climax in Jesus. The story is not finished and yet the die is set because Jesus is it. How does God finally save through Jesus? How does God most demonstrate his kindness in Jesus? How does God fulfill the promises that he has made to his people across thousands of years in Jesus? And the disciples of the kingdom have, Paul tells us, the responsibility to show and to speak of Jesus. And so if we are disciples of his kingdom, we must not hide this treasure. This is what we are to do as a church, together, encouraging one another to show and speak of Jesus. Not to be ashamed, but to recognise and proclaim his glory, the treasure. And we won't do it if we do not know that value for ourselves. We won't do it if we've forgotten how glorious Jesus is. If our hearts have grown cold towards Jesus. We won't share it and we won't show it. And we won't do it if we think that it's down to us to save people. We won't show the gloriousness of Jesus if we are thinking it's down to me. I have to convince people. I have to save people. No, God saves. 
Our job is to point to how he saves. It's to point to Jesus and to continually remind each other of the glory of God's kingdom and the glory of God's king. We should be able to say, Jesus is our treasure. And I hope, I pray, that we've been reminded of that even this afternoon. Let me pray. Father, we, many of us, know the reality of hearts that have grown cold towards you. But many of us know the reality of what it is to receive the kingdom of God with great joy. Father, we pray, show us more of the glory of your kingdom. Show us more of the glory of your king. And would you use us in one another's lives, Lord, to remind each other, to chiv each other, to keep looking, Father, and to, to be amazed and to be thankful and then to show and speak of Jesus. Father, let that be our mark as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.